Syracuse, WSGO Oswego, W249BC Mattydale, W261AC Oswego, WTKWHD2 Bridgeport, ESPN Radio. Are you, you, are you ready for this? Fast break for the yards, Clary to the crease, open door to make. Higgins and Sacco. Great to have you along, and uh, we get off and uh, running here today, Mario. And um, uh, sad news this weekend uh, for all Seinfeld fans out there. It just feels uh, appropriate here today that we we have to start uh, with the unmistakably distinct voice. Of the lady that played Estelle Costanza, that is, uh, 93 years young, passed away over the weekend, Estelle Harris. I don't understand you. I really don't. You have nothing better to do at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? I go out for a quart of milk. I come home and find my son treating his body like it was an amusement park. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Mario, we had nothing better to do at 3 in the afternoon on a weekday. So here we are on the radio and uh, off and going uh, here today. And, uh, wow, isn't there a lot to talk about this week with the lacrosse debacle? We'll get into that uh, from the weekend. We got the Final Four coming up, news out of the uh, orange on players coming back with Cole Swider making uh, his announcement the, the other day. But, Mario, uh, let's go here. We, we got sports coming at us every which way uh, this week and uh, this month, and uh, I think we're going to have some fun here. As my buddies always told me, Brian, i got a face for radio, so this fits right in uh, with me. But, yeah, glad to be alongside you here for the next hour, and we'll get into the lacrosse, and, and you were on the call, obviously, out in South Bend and, you know, a team that I guess didn't even show up. Uh, it looked like uh, through most of that game, um, but basketball, you know, final four taking place over the weekend national championship for the women last night, uh, the men's final national championship tonight between North Carolina and Kansas. And no, I did not have North Carolina in the finals uh, <laughs> when I looked about uh, two months ago. Uh, no, or a month ago, or you know, a couple of weeks ago. Like that's just not a, a thing that would have made a, a, a ton of sense. And uh, we'll get into that. I mean, that Carolina Duke game Saturday night. It had uh, everything short of a legitimate buzzer beater to end the game. That was as compelling a college basketball game that has existed in in probably years with everything that went into it. We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, let's start uh, very local here, uh, Mario, for the first part. The Basketball Hall of Fame at the Final Four. And for those who don't know what the Basketball Hall of Fame, it is not uh, like uh, football where there's the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton and the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. There is a Basketball Hall of Fame for all of basketball, and it is in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts. If you've ever gone up and down uh, 90 under the Mass Pike, you drive right past it. But Larry Costello, a.k.a. the Manoa Comet, uh, who died back in 2001, but... He, over the weekend, Mario, got put in uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame by the Contributor Committee. And, you know, that, that's really cool for somebody that has a very specific Central New York tie uh, to get named to the Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend. Yeah, I mean, going in with George Carl, Swing Cash, just to name a few. You can get into the NBA guys later. But, you know, a guy from Manoa that you go got to go back in time. You talk about the Syracuse Nationals. He played for the Nats. 
before moving over to the Philadelphia 76ers when, when they were moved there. Won an NBA title not only as a player, but also as a coach. Uh, before the Milwaukee Bucks, Brian won this past NBA title. Their last one, Larry Costello was, was the head coach uh, of the Milwaukee mm-hmm. Bucks. So uh, a pretty cool tie uh, for Central New York and for him to, to go into the Hall of Fame. Um, pretty neat. Here's what's uh, nuts, at least for me personally. Like, I will take any opportunity to disappear down to like a Google or Wikipedia rabbit hole. That's where I was Saturday and, night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and lose like an hour looking up stuff that really doesn't matter about anything whatsoever. I live in Manoa. I drive past literally every day for going on four years now. I drive past a sign that says, Welcome to Manoa, home of Larry Costello. And, you know, I'm you know, vaguely aware of who uh, Larry was. And, you know, understood he was NBA and all that stuff and a, a good player and this and that. But for four years, I've been driving past this freaking sign and never <laughs> until this morning have, have I done the proper deep dive to learn about this guy. And you said it. He was, uh, you know, a great high school basketball player around here. Of course. I mean, you're not in the NBA if you're not a great high school basketball player. Uh, he was a six-time All-Star, played 12 seasons. He was the last guy, basically, that used a two-handed set shot instead of a jump shot. And how about the people he was in proximity to in his career? His last year in the league uh, was 1967. He was on the Philadelphia 76ers, a.k.a. uh, the Nationals, um, and then moved there. Played with Wilt Chamberlain, who was the MVP of the league that year. That was the year uh, they they changed up the offense. Wilt said, I'm going to pass the ball a lot. It was only third in the league in scoring, and Ended up having eight assists a game along with his standard leading the league and rebounding and block shot. So he won a title as a player in 67, retires, comes back home as one does back in the day. You're not a bajillionaire having played in the NBA. He's coaching hoops at ESM. (laughs) Perfectly reasonable thing to do. All right, retired NBA player, you know, done with that. Go get a real job. He's coaching basketball at ESM. The Milwaukee Bucks, as you said, are an expansion team. Gets a call from the Bucks while at ESM and says, hey, you want to coach an NBA team? Yeah, sure, why not? So what happens next? They get the number one pick in the NBA draft and draft some guy named Lou Sindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That worked out pretty well. They end up trading for a later in his career Oscar Robertson and win this 1971 NBA title. Like You, you can't make up that few years. He, he wins a title as a player. Goes home and then comes back and, and coaches Kareem in his early years and, and wins the title and goes on to do a lot of things. He was integral in uh, kind of the advancement of uh, film study and, and things like that. And it, it sounds like uh, Larry had a lot of uh, Mario important things he did, you know, around the game, behind the scenes, all that stuff, which is why he got put in uh, by the contributor committee, not as a player, not as a coach, but ju- just as a guy. It sounds like it, back in that era, the 60s and the 70s, He meant a lot to the advancement of the NBA. What's even crazier is after coaching in the NBA, he came back and coached Utica College as well uh, to to throw that in. (laughs) And after he was done at Milwaukee, do you know the head coach that replaced him at Milwaukee? Oh, I I saw that. Was it Don Nelson? It was somebody. Don uh... Don Nelson replaced him. So, uh, you know, it it just gets even stranger. And and the name in my family – I'm related on on my father's side to the Costellos. I don't know if I have any relation to Larry Costello, but but <laughs> sure. it, it makes it even more crazy uh, to me when, when I see stuff like that. Well, uh, clearly, Mario, you're gonna you're gonna need to go cover the induction uh, whenever it is. <laughs> exactly. Do they do it yeah. over the summer and uh, introduce yourself as a a uh, friend of the family? Yeah. I'm the I'm like the that. third cousin on the uh, yeah. Keep going yeah. down the line. 
Yeah, no, no. I'm the third cousin on his father's side, uh, something like that. Uh, but that that's the cool little note this year. Always cool whenever anybody with the local ties gets into the Hall of Fame. And uh, Larry Costello, the Manoa Comet, was uh, named to the Hall of Fame uh, this weekend by the Contributor Committee and uh, will get officially inducted uh, later on this year. But uh, we move along to the Syracuse basketball roster and, you know, wake up on Friday morning. And we're a good three weeks into just nothing. Nothing has happened since uh, the end of the season. The only thing that happened is was the nothing of not going to the postseason. So moving along, a lot of nothing, a lot of nothing. Friday morning, Frank Anselm into the portal. Friday afternoon at halftime of the uh, high school basketball game, Judah Mitz officially uh, commits to the Orange. And, uh, you know, I think we spent all season, Mario, looking at this next item, and mainly because Cole Swider said it and Coach Bayheim said it, that Cole came to Syracuse and only planned on being here one year. Then you started to feel the tide maybe shift in the other direction late in the year. Cole's playing great. Cole's having fun. Hey, maybe I do want to uh, do this uh, for another year. Uh, But yesterday, uh, Cole comes out and says, no, you know, I'm sticking to the original plan, declaring for the NBA draft. And, uh, you know, good on Cole chasing the dream going forward. But it'll be interesting to see how uh, this affects the Orange roster next season now that they officially know that Swider won't be here. Yeah, you knew what you had with Cole coming back if he was going to come back. I mean, you got North Carolina playing in the national championship tonight, and he dropped, what, 36 on him uh, a a couple of months ago? Um, Yeah. It would have been great to to have uh, him back into the lineup because the way he rebounded the basketball and, you know, kind of settling into that role um, that he had, and and you could have relied on that. And now, you know, someone needs to fill that void if it be, you know, as you talked about, Judah Mintz coming in. You have Samir Torrance and, and Mintz maybe, you know, fighting for that point guard spot. Uh, that would slide probably Joe over to the two. And, and that three position is is kind of up for grabs. Three, four, and you know what you got in five in Jesse Edwards. Um, a lot of question marks when it comes to what you're going to get. You have a, a very highly talented class coming in. It's now a top ten class uh, with, with the signing of Judah Mintz. Um, but how quickly will those guys learn Coach Beheim's system is going to be the question. Uh, and obviously we're not going to know the answers until we see him play uh, at the beginning of October in some exhibition games. Yeah, the good news about uh, this with Cole leaving is that it is not unexpected to the coaching staff yeah. From a recruiting and roster management standpoint, it's something that that was the discussion when he joined them last year. Hey, this is probably going to be a one-year thing. And now, hey, it was open to him returning should he want to and opts out. So they they have recruited anyway to have people to play the forward position. Now, can they shoot it like Cole from the outside? Probably not. Um, you look at a guy like Bunch coming in, uh, and we'll, we'll see how these freshmen and how many of these freshmen are, are ready to go right away, which brings us back to the same question that we've been asking about this team for the last five months, and the question is simply this. Benny Williams, question mark? And that's the whole thing. because We still don't know anything about Benny. I still am assuming he's coming back next year because he has not given one indication that he's not. But, you know, you've got all these freshmen. Well, Benny's at least to the forward spot, he's more highly touted than the rest of them. He showed a little glimpse in that Duke game toward the end of the year before he got hurt. And now there is 100% that that spot in the starting lineup is wide open, Mario. So, man, if there's any time for Benny to be ready to roll, and again, eight months from now, the spot is officially there 
for uh, him to grab it right now here going into the offseason. Brian, Benny is that guy that you hope can make the jump like Jesse Edwards made, that that sat and, and learned the system, and, you know, he, he got some minutes here and there. And, and you could tell at, at times, you know, most of the season, Benny wasn't ready to, to, to play this year. And I'm not doubting that, you know, in the future he is ready to play, but he just wasn't ready, and um, hopefully this year – you know, he gets into the offseason. We've already seen him. I've already seen him in the Mellow Center working out, you, you know, uh, last week when we were in there interviewing Felicia Leggett-Jack. Um, can he make that jump, though? Because, as you said, that, that position is wide open for him to step in and, and start and, and contribute right, uh, you know, in, in his sophomore season. Um, we don't know what we're going to get out of these guys coming in, if it be a bunch, if it be a Justin Taylor, um, you know, and you go down the line um, on this recruiting class. So, and that's not to say that SU doesn't go out and hit the portal for a couple of players. You know, a couple mm-hmm. of players that have that experience and if these guys aren't ready right away can step in and play. We've already seen them use it, you know, this past year with Cole. We, we've seen it used in the past with guys like John Gillen and Andrew White. Uh, you just, you know, hope that you get guys that, that can play right away and can adjust to your system. And I believe, you know, should the coaching staff want to go to the portal at this point, um, I believe there's currently one scholarship, if not two, available. So they're after Anselm and Swider are out. So there, there is room uh, to add somebody. Obviously, you're still potentially in the market for another big uh, with Anselm gone. And now it's not necessarily a four you're looking for. But last year, like you didn't have a question about shooting. You started uh, five guys, obviously. Four of them could shoot. Three of them could really shoot from the outside. And he only got one of them back in Joe Girard. Justin Taylor is recruited for his shooting ability, but he's a freshman. Like to say you here on April 4th that you're going to lean on that uh, next season is a bit ambitious. So we'll have to see how it goes. It might be a very different style of ball. We see the Orange playing next year. But the uh, next domino has fallen. And the next question is, will there be any more? I think the ones that we uh, knew something was going to have to happen have all occurred now. And now we'll see, if it, will there be any news on Benny Williams or will there just be nothing? And uh, will there be incoming news in the portal or will there just be nothing? Uh, there really does not have to be anything else done to the roster before we get to next season at this point. But uh, always interesting to keep an eye on that. And obviously with the 8 million people in the transfer portal <laughs> right now, that is news uh, that uh, that doesn't end. That just keeps on going <laughs> until basically the end of time now with the portal at uh, this point. All right, let's hit a, a break here on Higgins and Saka. When we come back, uh, we will uh, dare look at that debacle that occurred on Saturday in South Bend when the orange uh, rolled in. And uh, rolled out with a 22-6 to loss against the Irish. The worst loss that Syracuse has experienced as a lacrosse program now in 45 years. It's been a minute going all the way back to 1977. It has been a long, long time. We'll hit lacrosse when we come back. We'll get into the Final Four. Men's and women's. The women's champion crowned last night. Men's champion crowned tonight down in New Orleans with Kansas taking on North Carolina. All that as we roll along here on the first edition of Higgins and Sacco at QSportsTalk.com at ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is Higgins and Sacco. All right, rolling along here. It is a Monday afternoon. It's Higgins and Sacco. Brian Higgins, Mario Sacco with you. And um, we've put it off long enough, Mario. 
there was a lacrosse game on Saturday. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm hesitant to say more than that because that was not a lot of fun Saturday in uh, South Bend. Started with a um, a nightmare of a travel day for the Orange on Friday that was essentially uh, due to planes, different planes, and the clock not stopping. Basically, a, a trip that got delayed somewhere between 14 and 16 hours and uh, got out of bed about 2 in the morning going into Saturday. Which, for maybe the first few goals of the game, I was prepared to say, that's not helping. But then they were down 12 nothing. And lost 22-6, to six, and I, I, I kind of stopped putting it on the travel, Mario, because I think after maybe a few, that's probably not the reason uh, it went down like that. But that was, uh, that was especially after the Duke game last week, showing signs of life to get cracked like that in South Bend. That, that has got to be a dispiriting feeling uh, for the guys here this week. Yeah, you blinked. It was 9 nothing after the first quarter, and it was all due to a man named Jake Taylor. And we'll play this one for you, Brian. Well, uh... What team do you play for, Jay? The Indians. Here in Cleveland? Mm-hmm. I didn't know they still had a team. Yeah, we got uniforms and everything. It's really great. <laughs> so, uh, the the classic Major League uh, quote, Jake Taylor, uh, you remember, was on the Indians in that movie. Well, so, we're calling the game. Saturday, Mario. And you know what it is? You prep for a game. Like, their roster is, I think it was 58, 60 guys on it. You know, usually you play mid-20s. Maybe, yeah, it's you know, you play about 24, 25 guys in a non-blowout situation in a lacrosse game. Now, this did turn into a blowout situation, but not yet. Um, so, Jake Taylor is on Notre Dame, so we found out. You don't really do a whole ton of research, a.k.a. you don't do any research into a guy that's played one game this season, and the only game he played was in their opener when they blew out Detroit Mercy 24-2. to The whole roster played in that game. 30 of those guys basically hadn't played again this year. You also don't put a lot of research in when you're looking at the pregame stats, and he's not listed in the starting lineup. So it does not quite occur to you he's going to be on the field until he starts the game. And then he's got a hat trick before you've really even begun to figure out what in the heck's going on. And when you Google Jake Taylor, that's what comes up. Major League comes up, not Notre Dame lacrosse. So the Orange ended up, this Jake Taylor guy, uh, who is apparently the best player in the history of college athletics. Now he is at Notre Notre Dame in program history. I I mean, legitimately, this guy that he had played five career games in three years before Saturday. He's not a freshman. He's not new. He played five in three years. You know, his first year got shortened by COVID. Last year, he had a knee injury. Extenuating circumstances. Turns out the guy's a former top 40 recruit out of Denver, so you know he could play at some point. But you said it, Mario. Eight goals. He set the Notre Dame program record. Nobody knew who he was at 11.59. The game started at 2. It is, as far as a single-game performance, it is it is maybe the most out-of-the-blue thing that I've ever witnessed in person. Yeah, I mean, you saw it behind the back goals and over the shoulder shot that <laughs> the SU's defense is just all you can do is shake your head. He went behind the back twice and did everything uh, against SU, and you knew coming into the game that you had to stop, you know, the Kavanaugh brothers. And, and well, obviously that didn't work either because Pat Kavanaugh mm-hmm. went off and had six goals and three assists uh, in the game. But, you know, as far as Jake Taylor's concerned, SU just, you know, it snowballed on him and snowballed on him in a hurry. And Notre Dame came in, what, 
that they were shooting on the season. You know, their shooting percentage was awful. And in that first quarter, they were like 75% uh, shooting and everything was finding the back of the net. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, travel, if it be, you know, you can't use that as an excuse, but <laughs> it just got downhill in a hurry. You know, Syracuse made a goalie change. It didn't matter what, what they did, you know. Notre Dame held Tucker Dornovic to just two points. He had two goals in the game. That was his lowest output since Syracuse lost to Army back on March 2nd. Um, they just couldn't do anything right. And and as you said, for all the promising signs that were showed against Duke defensively, that all went out the door uh, against Notre Dame on Saturday. And, you know, you got Albany. You, you traveled to Albany on, on Thursday. Um, Albany has always played Syracuse tough, but it doesn't get any easier right after that because you got, you know, Cornell – you know, chomping on your door here in a week. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting coming up. And this Notre Dame thing, the last three games against Notre Dame. 62 goals two, they've given up, Brian. 62 in three games. The two last year was 18 in the Dome. It was 22 in South Bend. The 22 last year was the first time the Orange had given up 22 since 1977. Uh, the 22 this year was the first time they gave up 22 since May 1st last year. So that's not... Uh, a great trend. And Pat Cavanaugh, 28 points against the Orange in the last three games, those three games. Just hand him the twerk so if he only, after he plays that shoot. <laughs> yeah. Like, if he only played against Syracuse, he literally would be the best player in the history of lacrosse. It's it's insane what this kid is doing uh, against the Orange. But you mentioned this Albany game coming up Thursday, and we'll, we'll get into it more as the week goes along. That's a, a 7 o'clock face-off a Thursday evening at Albany. The first-ever Syracuse game at Albany this is, and this is saying a lot, because Albany's been in quarterfinals. Albany's had really good teams. Albany had Lyle and Miles Thompson. Albany's had a lot. And maybe a little bit of shines off it because of the way the Orange are this year, and Albany's having their worst season in a very long time. But the way Albany institutionally is treating this game on Thursday night, they are treating it like it is without question by a wide margin the biggest game in the history of Albany lacrosse. That's how they're handling it. I mean, you remember a few years ago where when the Orange basketball was at Georgetown and you couldn't buy a single game ticket. You had to like sign up to be a donor and buy a, a ticket plan and the whole thing. You cannot get tickets to Thursday night game at Albany unless you buy a season ticket package. Like you can buy single tickets to any other game. Like you can't get into the game. So that kind of tells you what the Orange are dealing with uh, Thursday and even though Albany's not great, Mario, that, like that is a heck of a way you got to bounce back off this Notre Dame game. Yeah, and you can't look at Albany's the only team left on Syracuse schedule. Well, Notre Dame was uh, with a losing record, um, and you come into the game against Albany, and as you said, this is the first time it's it's ever at Albany, and we've seen in the past just how good uh, the Great Danes program is, and, and yes, they're having a down year, but when you're SU, you can't afford to look past any team. Because you know you're you're coming off a twenty-two to six beatdown, you know you, you can't look mm -hmm. past anyone. Well, why don't I want to go back to the Notre Dame game real quick for you, Brian? And, and yes, it got downhill in in a hurry. Why have they been able to have such success against SU? Syracuse hasn't beat them since twenty eighteen, and yes, uh, they didn't play one in the in the year the first COVID year. Um, but why have they been able to able to have such success over SU's program? Because Top to bottom, SU, you look at your other programs in, in the ACC, North Carolina, Duke, SU doesn't struggle with them. North Carolina has just owned them. Excuse me, Notre Dame has owned them, not North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I look at uh, that stretch you're talking about, and 
simply just comparing the last two weeks, I, I think kind of tells the tale because last week, I mean, you look at program-wise, if you want to compare Duke to Notre Dame and say you put Duke in front over that span or flip a coin or, or whatever you want, uh, they're equally over this last half decade or so success-wise uh, the same thing. Or Duke's got a slight edge on Notre Dame. Yet, Syracuse plays well against Duke and beats Duke on the regular and gets cracked here by Notre Dame. And I think it's a Styles thing. It's, uh, you know, Duke's playing kind of straight up man-to-man on you, and that allowed Dordovic to to run wild uh, last week. And the Notre Dame defense controls the style of the game so much, you cannot beat them one-on-one. Because if you beat your guy, there's another guy there. And if you happen to beat him, there's another guy there. And there's nowhere to pass the ball to. They are so disciplined on uh, defense and everything they do in ways maybe other ACC teams aren't. Syracuse has struggled with it. And meanwhile, the other ACC teams, their, their ceilings are higher than Notre Dame's, I think, probably because they allow themselves at points to be less disciplined. But uh, that discipline on defense, for sure, has uh, caused the Orange problem for years. And then just the last couple of years, Mario, the, the Orange offense, has, or the Orange defense, rather, has struggled against uh, Notre Dame. And, and it's kind of hard to make heads or tails of that, why it would be different against the Irish than Duke a, a week ago. It, Duke has more talent at the offensive end of the field than Notre Dame, yet you give up 10 goals in one game and uh, 22 in the other game. So hopefully the guys get it back on track uh, Thursday night at Albany's 7 o'clock faceoff, a game you can hear over on TK99. Let's hit a break now. When we come back, we'll get into the events of the weekend. There's no question what the game of the weekend, the game of the week, the game of the year in sports uh, is to date. It was Duke and Carolina on Saturday night, a game that somehow exceeded the hype it had going in, which I thought would have been impossible to do. We'll hit that at the women's title game last night and began looking toward the men's title game tonight as we roll along here on Higgins and Sacco on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse Sports Talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is Higgins and Sacco. All right, back at it here on a Monday. Higgins and Sacco. Brian Higgins, Mario Sacco. As, uh, we, we got lots to talk about this week. or threw a little across today. Well, Paul, Paul Carcaterra on uh, tomorrow. To, uh, he was out in South Bend with us on uh, Saturday. It watched all of that go down. And certainly has his finger on the pulse of the entire rest of the country. So we'll talk to Paul tomorrow at, at 3.15. Adam Terry will join us. On Wednesday, can do a little review of the Orange and Blue spring football game from last Friday. Uh, he was there for that and kind of has his finger on the pulse a little bit of the upcoming NFL uh, draft. We'll get Kevin Brown, former voice of the Chiefs, current voice of the Orioles, on Thursday. Opening day for Major League uh, Baseball. And then the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Josh Getzoff, on Friday. Uh, Mario, uh, I, I think you'll be handling most of the questions <laughs> uh, on Friday. I'll, I, I, uh, I'm aware of Crosby. Big on the Crosby, make sure he's doing okay, and then uh, I might turn you loose on that one on Friday, huh? Yeah, he's a good buddy of mine. We actually uh, started together in the Elmira market, and at least one of us has made uh, a career out of this business. Uh, <laughs> but Josh is a great kid, and not only he covers the Penguins, but uh, they play the Rangers on Thursday night, so I figured it'd be good to get them after a Rangers game. Um, the Rangers have kind of owned the Penguins as of late with the hockey playoffs here right around the corner. Crunch playoffs here coming up in a month, so... Uh, 
You know, they got a handful of games left. They won three games this past weekend. So, uh, busy time of year as far as, you know, pro sports are concerned with the NBA playoffs, you know, handful of games there as well. So, yeah, you mentioned the crunch. Crunch have been looking good uh, recently anyway. They're making a nice uh, move toward the postseason. So, uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully to seeing. So that maybe maybe we can end up with a, a Syracuse Utica playoff series at some point. That would be that would be outstanding. Get the Galaxy Cup uh, playoff series. Hopefully uh, we can get that that down the line. That would be uh, big stuff uh, going on around uh, these parts. But uh, we got to get into the Final Four Saturday. I mean, Mario, th- this Carolina Duke game. I mean, the fr- the one to end the regular season. Coach K's last game in Cameron. Super hyped, and then the twists and turns uh, of where it goes, and you couldn't you couldn't have foreseen that at the time. And then this tournament starts happening. Like there was no reason to predict this game was going to happen. Carolina was an eight seed. You don't pick eight seeds to go to the Final Four. It doesn't make sense. Well, they get through their first round game. They take out the top seed in Baylor in their second round game. It's like, well, now they're in the Sweet Sixteen. That was the region with St. Peter's, who had already knocked out the two seed in Kentucky. Now you're looking at Duke getting through there. Then Gonzaga goes out, and you say, this is going to happen. This is really going to happen. But then the first thing, at least, that came into my head is, all right, this is how Coach K's story goes. He's going to avenge the terrible loss from a year ago and roll onward into the title game. And, my goodness, Carolina didn't let it happen. And how about that ball game, Mario? I mean, it started a little slow, but it just kept building and building and building to the huge finish. The whole building's on their feet. Like, rarely do sporting events exceed the hype when the hype is that high. And that is exactly what Duke and Carolina did on Saturday. It was phenomenal. And in the first half, when Duke kind of went on that mini run uh, that they had and and took a three-point lead in the halftime, Paulo Bancaro had it going. He was playing well. I'm thinking, oh, you know, this this is Duke's game. There's no way they let North Carolina win this basketball game. The Tar Heels come out in the second half and say, here, we're going to throw a right hook back at you. And they start the half on an 11-4 run. Brady Manick hits a, a, a three. He's hitting fadeaway threes. Caleb Love was just fantastic. And I said, all season long with this North Carolina basketball team, you know what you're getting in the post. They go if their guards play well. And Caleb Love was you know, 28 points. What more could you say about what, what he did in that basketball game? And still, down the stretch, you, you're you're clinging to your TV and saying, what is going on as teams are trading threes and love slashing to the hoop? Uh, it was phenomenal. And the lone stat that sticks out in my mind, they've met 100 times in Coach K's era, and it's 50-50. Like, that is unbelievable to me uh, that, you know, first time they've ever met in the NCAA tournament, and – and Coach K ends his career with a 500 record uh, against their rival, and not only a 500 record, uh, a loss that you know ends his career a- as a head coach. You, you couldn't script it any better, uh, as far as if you were playing, you know, the evil villain uh, of North Carolina and, and what they mm-hmm. were able to do the, the last two times that they played North Carolina. And, and will that carry over? And will they win a national championship game? And will you even be talking about this national championship game? down the line. The only way I think you're talking about it down the line is if North Carolina fishes this off and wins it tonight against Kansas. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so, uh, apologies to Kansas. Like, whatever happens tonight, uh, barring you hitting like a half quarter to win the game, 
nobody's going to remember that Kansas won this title. And you're Kansas. Like, this is not a nobody. This is freaking Kansas. Like, yeah. you've won your share, and you're there all the time. And just nobody's – it's just not here the thing. I, I was amazed. I, I was – you always kind of look at the handshake line after a game like that. And, and certainly – and obviously we've talked a lot about the handshake line uh, this year. Thanks, uh, Juwan Howard. But Coach K's last game, had this been – Almost, probably any other team they played against, certainly most of them, or had it been, you know, had say it had been Syracuse that beat him with, with Bayheim or any of the guys that he's boys with over the years. That would have been uh, the hug, the whole thing, whatever. But it was Carolina. Hubert Davis was past him in like less than a second. I'm like, whoa. It wasn't like a complete blow by. He gave him the handshake and said, congrats or whatever. And they just kept it moving. That, that popped out to me. That, like, that's how big this rivalry is. Like, we've been talking for a year about Coach K's last game, and Hubert's like, great. See ya. Bye. <laughs> we're, we're moving. Yeah. Supposedly, even Shire got into it with, with one of North Carolina's assistants, what Adam Zagoria said. Um, that that's just wild to me, you know the 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 rivalry and everything that that goes in it, and you know more power to North Carolina to just the 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 Twitter was even you know funnier of what North Carolina put, and you can go out and see it. Um, but now they got to finish the job, though. You know, you you mm-hmm. slay you slayed them twice. Go out and finish the job, and, and you don't know what you're gonna get. Uh, it, with Baycott, they said Baycott's playing. Um, Davis said, you know, yesterday during his press conference that, you know, obviously he's nursing an injury, but he is going to go out there and play. But but what are you going to get out of him uh, is the question. And and you need him because, you know, Kansas got some bigs that they, they can throw at you. Yeah, I love after the ankle injury. Like this is the thing about playing these games in giant football arenas. Like nothing is close to the court, so they're starting to. It looks like they're trying to take him back to the locker room or something. Walk like the mile. dudes walked a quarter of a mile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like seriously, he's hurt. What do you What do you do? <laughs> Sit him on the end of the bench and tape it up or, or something. But you take him. Like even if you take him back there and fix it and bring him out, he's going to miss the entire rest of the game. Just so it's uh, so far away. But uh, we'll get into tonight's game in a moment. Uh, Mario, we got to hit quickly on last night with the women's uh, title game and not really a great game, but uh, you know what? When you see a great team, and that's what South Carolina has been this year, going to wire to wire uh, as number one, and they did it with defense and rebounding all season long, and their team is huge, and they just kind of sat on uh, UConn last night, and to see that happen to UConn, like anyone that knows women's basketball knows if UConn's on the court, they're probably favored to win the game. That wasn't the case last night, but you just you assume it for 30 years now. And to see what South Carolina did to them last night was amazing because they just didn't allow UConn to do anything. UConn was not in that game for basically a second for the entire game last night, which I've never once seen of a UConn team in 30 years. They just smothered them and defensively, and you saw the look every time they would pan to the sidelines to, to Gino and the look on his face like we did we can't do anything offensively against this team because as you mentioned their length it would look like you know Paige Beckers was going to get going she had you know nine points in that uh second quarter and, and then they just smothered her and it looked like UConn would, would have a chance at an open look but you know the way that they rotated uh, it was a very impressive performance by South Carolina and, and you know Boston being named everything Defensive Player of the Year, National Player of the Year, caps it off. But it was the play of Destiny Henderson uh, that carried that team yesterday. She did whatever she wanted to uh, against UConn. 
Yeah, I think she finished with 25, 26. Career high, anyway. A uh, good time for a career high is the national title game. And uh, she's a former top five recruit. Their whole team is former uh, top five uh, recruit. Cardosa, you know, we, we know about her. And she barely saw the floor and, and gets to win a national championship at South Carolina. Yeah, so it's uh, chalk it down. Syracuse women's basketball does have its first taste, I think, of uh, a national championship, uh, sort of, as uh, Camilla will will get a ring uh, for that. So congrats to her. And, yeah, she barely – she she got some run in the second quarter uh, for a stretch. I, I could be wrong. I do not recall seeing her on the court uh, after halftime. They just have so many exceedingly tall people. Uh, this tells you they didn't really need last year's ACC Freshman of the Year uh, to win the national championship. Why? Because they had this year's National Player of the Year. Leo Boston won every of the awards that exists. She's already won four of them. And uh, now uh, she got what she really wanted, which was the national championship. And this is pretty good. You win the national championship. She's standing on the podium there doing the whole thing and sees for like the first time in her life in person, her idol, Candace Parker's right there. She's like, hey, <laughs> you, and got to meet her after the game. So uh, pretty cool there uh, for Aaliyah to do that. And Dawn Staley, who brought up an interesting point the other day when people were talking about Gino being 11-0 all-time in title games. She says, well, I'm undefeated too. She was one and zero. Now two and zero. Now she's two, now two and zero, uh, and Gino uh, no longer anything and zero, falling to the dreadful total of uh, eleven yeah. and one. So working out. Must think to be eleven and one, and they just they got <laughs> they got killed on the glass last night as well. Like they, you know, offensive rebounds, second chance points. South Carolina killed them. Yeah, killed it. They had five offensive rebounds uh, before the first official timeout of the game. Every shot they missed, they got it back. It makes it a lot easier uh, to win the basketball game. And uh, congrats to South Carolina uh, winning their second title now in the last five years and uh, starting at least a little bit uh, to take uh, the title from UConn as the best women's college basketball team in the country. All right, let's hit one final break. We'll get into the game tonight. It's Carolina. It's Kansas. Lots of history on the line in the Superdome tonight. We'll lay it all out when we come back here as we wrap up the hour. Uh, Higginson Sacco on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. <laughs> This is Higgins and Sacco. Just a few minutes to wrap up the hour today. Brian and Mario with you. Title game tonight, UNC in Kansas. And uh, here's the thought that came to me the other day, Mario. I, I, I felt the script writers were hard at work of writing this Coach K story. It turns out we were looking in the wrong place. We should have been looking in the crowd all season long. Who got shown at every North Carolina game Roy. all season long? Who did who did we see? Well, there's Roy Williams. Oh, every time it's Roy. Oh, isn't that fun? He's supporting his old team. Isn't that nice? Turns out this was not the Coach K story. This year was the Roy Williams story. We just didn't know it because it's his two teams, Carolina and Kansas, playing tonight. So they, they threw the curveball at us and didn't see it, didn't occur to me until there was about two minutes in the game left uh, on Saturday night. You didn't see that white foreshadowing or whenever you see a white light foreshadowing in movies, <laughs> uh, the Roy Williams effect. No, um, yeah, when you saw Syracuse play North Carolina a couple of months ago and you're like, there's no way. I mean, North Carolina got waxed by Pittsburgh and mm -hmm. and turn around now they're playing in the national championship game. So that just tells you with the run that they're on right now and the guard play that they're getting from Love and, you know, Davis and, and down the line, Brady Manick is has been unreal. Like, um, you know what you're getting out of Baycott, and if he has one more double-double, he passes Tim Duncan. 
for most double doubles in a season. That's a pretty good name to uh, put your name into the history books with. All right, so who, who you got tonight, Mario? I think I'm going to go with Kansas, uh, despite all that and uh, every goodwill that's going with uh, Carolina, just because Kansas looks really, really good right now. Ochai Abaji's playing uh, great. David McCormick, especially if Baycott's uh, injured at all today, uh, could out-physical inside if he's hurt. And I'll go Remy Martin as the X-Factor again off the bench, but it, it kind of feels like it's Kansas's time right now. Yeah, Abaji got six of seven from behind the arc in that game against Villanova. Uh, he's been lights out, but I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm going to go North Carolina. I'll go against you. I'll, I'll go right. North Carolina finds a way. I, I don't know how, um, but as an eight seed to, to win a national title and, you know, be a heck of a story. If uh, Davis can do it in his first year at the helm of the Tar Heels. Yeah, build the Hubert Davis statue now if they win the game, ending uh, Coach K in every possible way. A legend himself as a Tar Heel, and then uh, winning will, the national title in his first year. Will Michael Jordan be there? That's a good question. Will Michael Jordan be there? I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't usually turn out uh, to things. So that that would be something if uh, as Davis if said Mike he'd like there. he'd like to uh, put the jersey on him one more time if if he if he is in attendance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would make uh, that would make things just a, a wee bit easier uh, for the heels tonight if uh, if Jordan uh, was in attendance. I know Kenny Smith will be over the moon on the pregame and postgame shows on TBS tonight. All right, that uh, wrap things up today for our uh, first go at Higgins and Sacco. We'll be back tomorrow at three o'clock. Paul Carcaterra of ESPN Lacrosse coverage will join us tomorrow. We'll break down that debacle in South Bend on Saturday and uh, much much more. That wraps things up today on the block with Brent X coming up next year on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN. Radio.